Okay, I'm here with Tom Mullen, who is a writer. Uh, he's written for a lot of different places, and he has two books out. Am I right about that? Uh, Where Do Conservatives and Liberals Come From? And Whatever Happened to Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness, Part 1. And then A Return to Common Sense, Reawakening Liberty in the Inhabitants of America. Um, so Tom had an article up this past week the title of which is the state and federal government's coronavirus response will dwarf economic damage done by FDR. So to start, I'm guessing a lot of people are going to look at that headline and say, well, wait a second, FDR was a hero. He saved the economy from the great depression. You know, what are you talking about? Why would you say that? Well, I, I think it, if you really dig into, uh, even economists that, uh, are more on the left. They've grudgingly admitted in recent years that um, okay, <laughs> that uh, uh, Franklin Roosevelt's interventions to try and help, you know, I'm from the government and I'm here to help, uh, probably did not solve the Great Depression. In fact, they probably prolonged it. I don't think that they'll admit that he prolonged it, but um, they, they've retreated to the position, well, he provided the, the country hope. Uh, now, of course, our, our position is that the market, um, during the pop of any bubble, including the one 12 years ago, the one that's going on right now uh, with the coronavirus as its pin, um, that's the market trying to reset prices to their true market level. That's the market trying to tell workers, hey, you're employed in unprofitable endeavors. You're making products for which there isn't any demand or enough demand to constitute as many workers in that industry. So the market's laying you off and telling you, go work somewhere else, make something that people uh, want to buy. Uh, it's telling um, both lenders and borrowers, you, you made some mistakes. You, you, you uh, created debt uh, that was not prudent debt. You borrowed to expand in places that you shouldn't have expanded. And now, um, you know, the market is telling you that, that that might not be paid back or you're going to have to take a write down or whatever. And all of this is, is healing the economy from this bubble that was blown up by um, mostly by monetary inflation by the Federal Reserve. You know, they, they, they distort the one market price that's most important, which is the interest rate. And they get, you know, producers trying to do their best, consumers trying to do their best making a lot of bad decisions because that that signal that that all important market price called the interest rate is artificially lower than it that really should be so i mean what we're seeing now is the same what we're what we saw in the depression and the response from the government is the same as it was in the depression and the same as it was 12 years ago it's saying um i don't care what the market is trying to tell you we're going to try and prop up the prices. They're, they're trying to fall to where they should be. Now, in the short term, of course, they're going to overcorrect. There's going to be panic. They're going to go lower than they should be, which provides some opportunity for some people. But if you let prices alone and let the market do what it wants to do, eventually you'll find the, the true market price of the houses that are deflating, of the stocks that are going down. Are some of them oversold? Of course. Are some of them not yet down to where they should be? Yeah, of course. So, you know, what FDR did was basically the same thing that Obama and others did uh, 12 years ago. 
is he tried to overcome uh, the market. He tried to prop up prices and keep them higher, you know, we're, keep them at their artificially higher rates. He actually paid farmers to produce less crops at the same time while people were going hungry. Why? Because he thought the government knew what the price of wheat should be rather than the market. Um, you know, and, and there's all kinds of reasons this is idiotic, but, you know, it, you just think about the government uh, telling people to destroy cattle and bury them while other people are starving. Um, this is the kind of craziness that uh, FDR unleashed on the economy. And had he not done the things that he did, there would be no such thing as the Great Depression. We would have had a correction. Everybody would have got hurt badly for a, a short time. And then um, the market would have reset prices, the interest rates, and people would have started working in profitable endeavors. Now, it's not like that's perfect. Uh, if you just spent four years of your life um, learning skills and uh, being employed in the wrong place, I mean, that hurts you permanently. You lost those four years. So the blowing up of the bubble is where the real problem occurs. It's got you know, these workers off working at something they really shouldn't be doing. And they could have used that time to develop skills in other areas. So, you know, the market's not perfect in its correction. Uh, and it wouldn't be perfect in, in, in the um, normal development of investment and, and business growth. But it's a lot better than the government overriding those natural cause and effect relationships. Um, so what FDR did was, was terrible. If you really look at um, when the depression ended, it was after World War II when they cut government spending by a massive amount. And then a real boom started. But, you know, for anyone who believes that uh, the, the war ended the depression or FDR ended the depression, during the war, my dad told me a story. Um, they couldn't get any ketchup. It was just one of the many things that was rationed by the government. So, I mean, people were not rich during the depression just because the government ordered them to make bombs. Uh, there still was no goods in certain, you know, there was no products that they could get. And they could only get ketchup once a month. My father um, went to the store to get the ketchup, being like a young, early teen, 12 years old, something like that. And uh, he, he dropped it and it broke. And he was so afraid to come home and tell his parents that he, you know, he, he, he broke the ketchup, the only ketchup for the month that he stayed out until about two in the morning to go look for him and bring him home, oh tell him he wasn't going to be, you know, hided for, for breaking their ketchup. So people were poor during World War II. The, the, sending them to work for the government did not make them richer. And I don't know if that's too long or too short an answer, but no, we could go on and on about the damage that FDR yeah. did to the well, economy. One, one thing, um, again, for, for people who might not be familiar with this, you, you mentioned the bubble. So what's, what is it, you, you talked a little bit about this, but if you could just sort of explain a little bit more, why do we have to deal with these bubbles? What, what's, it, it seems like, you know, from, from, the outside looking at this is like, God, if, if markets are constantly producing these big bubbles, then maybe that is a problem and we need to do something about it. So what's, what's the bubble? Where does that come from? Well, the bubble is caused by um, uh, investment in the wrong places, too much investment in, um, in areas where there's either not as much demand as the investment, uh, you know, is, is what they're going to produce or no demand at all. I mean, think of pets.com back in the uh, NASDAQ days. Um, 
you know, and, and this is all caused by the Federal Reserve. This isn't caused by natural market forces. I mean, in a, it, with, a, with an honest monetary system that can't be inflated at will, money is scarce. So as lenders make decisions on, you know, who to lend money to, they're, they're lending to the most, um, the, the lowest risk investments first and on down the line. And sooner or later, they will really run out of money to lend before they get to the really ridiculous things. And, and on the other side, the producers are looking at interest rates saying, should I borrow money to um, expand and produce more stuff or start this new very risky adventure? Well, in, in an honest system that they, they wouldn't be able to do that. But uh, the Federal Reserve provides all this extra, they call it liquidity, or they're just making up money and pumping it into the market, hoping to expand um, both production and consumption. Now, on the consumer side, with interest rates that low, what does it do? It tells consumers, well, why would you bother saving money if I've got money in the bank, um, I'm not earning any interest on it, uh, prices are going up because uh, there's more money chasing the same amount of goods, and I could borrow money at this really low rate and you know, not worry that I'm not going to be able to pay it back, and the payments are going to be low every month. So it encourages consumers to do the wrong thing, way too much debt. I mean, why does nobody have three months worth of savings right now? Because they'd be losing money saving, putting money in a savings account to tide them over during a crisis like this. So they're encouraged by the Federal Reserve and the monetary system to borrow instead of save, to spend, overspend, overconsume. And all of this is blowing up what we call a bubble. It pushes housing prices up. There's more demand for housing prices at an artificially lower interest rate than there would be uh, at the natural market interest rate. So the prices of houses get artificially inflated. Now, when all this gets to a critical mass, even without a killer virus that we're being told we're facing, uh, eventually it, it pops like it did 12 years ago. And then, and then the prices start falling, housing prices start falling. Well, that puts people in a bind. Um, and, and in a deflationary environment, everyone's gonna earn a little bit less money, but everything's gonna cost a little less. But if you borrowed against a house that now is going to be worth only two thirds of what you borrowed against, and you're never gonna get your money back um, if you sell it, and maybe you can't afford the mortgage because in a, in a real system without, our system is not a real system, but maybe wages are falling. This is what happens. People get caught in loans they can't pay back. Uh, this is what happened during the depression. Housing prices were falling. And what does the government try to do? Now, the best thing would be nothing. And some lenders and some borrowers are going to have to swallow some pain. And not just the borrowers, but the lenders who made bad loans. Um, but, uh, you know, the government overrides all that. They try to prolong all that. So, so basically what they do is they try to freeze in place these bad investments, um, these bad loans that were made. They try to keep prices higher than they really should be. So, and that's what prolongs the pain. That's why the so-called recovery after 2008, you know, six years later, we still had very high unemployment, no economic growth, one, two percent. Uh, and by the way, it really hasn't been any better than that in the last few years other than one year. So, um, you know, the government, always, what I say is the government is always and everywhere at war with market prices. 
but it's market prices that allow us to have nice things. Okay. The reason that, that supermarkets don't buy so much more than they need that they have to throw out 80% of their stock every, every month is because prices are telling them how much to buy. They're telling consumers how much to consume and markets clear and we can have nice things. Now, normally we have a, a little bit less nice things because of the government during a crisis like this, we have empty shelves. You can't buy toilet paper. Why? Because the government won't let toilet paper go to its natural market price, which would be higher during a crisis like this. Uh, we don't have enough ventilators. Why? Well, that's really because the government um, previously wouldn't allow enough ventilators to come into the market and they won't let enough come in now because of all the regulatory things you have to do to become a provider of ventilators. So what is it doing now? It's considering ordering the, the, uh, the producers to make more. Well, why is that necessary? We never have to order anyone to make more of anything else we need. So, you know, it's, it's because of, I mean, the government basically is, is killing us in every direction. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's um, just listening to you talk. It, it seems to me that a lot of the people that I'm arguing with on Facebook about this, a lot of people seem to see um, the economy sort of as a, as a static thing. It's like, this is how it is in the moment. And so we need to fix it. We need to, something's wrong. Something needs adjusting. So we need to get the government in to fix it as opposed to understanding how markets move in time and fix things on their own. Um, one thing, one thing that I keep hearing is, is, you know, well, people are hurting now they're hurting now. We have to do something for them now. And so that trumps, I guess, in their mind that trumps any, um, it, it makes it illegitimate for to allow markets to function because, oh my God, somebody's suffering now. But as you say, they're going to suffer one way or the other. I mean, this, 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 this distortion and that, okay, so that's something I'd actually like you to talk about too, is even in sort of in free market um, circles, I think people have a sense that Fed policies are bad because they create inflation and they you know, undermine the value of the currency, they undermine people's wealth. But I'm not sure everybody gets this whole distortion picture that it's actually, it's not just, it's not just that it's stealing wealth from people, it's that it's distorting the whole signaling system so that people are making bad decisions. People are producing things where there's not really enough demand. They're maybe not producing things that where there could be demand. Um, how do you explain that? I mean, you've done a great job of explaining it, but how do you get that across to somebody who doesn't even know about what, what the Fed is or understand monetary policy at all? Well, I think the, the simplest way to answer that is that money is a commodity like anything else. I mean, we have a system where um, the government's bank can just create out of thin air more of that commodity, but still a commodity. Um, how the, the, uh, there's a supply of it on the market and there's a price for using somebody else's store of that commodity, okay? Um, that's called the rate of interest. Uh, I, you know, I could spend uh, the money I have right now on a new uh, motorcycle, or I could lend it to you, um, and you pay me back in the future some amount of money more than that. And that difference is the rate of it. It's the price of borrowing, okay? It, the rate of interest reflects a lot of other things besides the price of borrowing, but 
just leave it there for the moment that it's the price of borrowing. So, I mean, even a lot of people who, you know, support free markets for the most part seem to be okay with the government just overriding the market price of the commodity called money. But it's just a thing that we exchange for other things. Okay. If, if, um, you know, uh, the federal, or I shouldn't say the government came in and said, we're going to just make um, motorcycles half the price from now on. Uh, you know, everybody would scream, what are you doing? You're going to have all these, these distortions. You're going you're gonna to have not enough motorcycles for the demand. You're not going to have all the marginal producers, the people who can't afford to produce them that cheap. They're going to go out of business and, and you're going to have these big shortages. But when they do it for money, nobody seems to care. I mean, they just don't, um, you know, oh, well, you know, that's, uh, that's what we need that. So, um, you know, the market it can be um, distorted, but it, in the end, it, it always wins, right? I mean, you're going to have an effect. And one thing I, I mean, I know this is a little off the subject, but this is one of the things that sticks in my craw all the time is that people completely buy the idea that there's been no effect of all the monetary inflation over the past uh, 20 years, really, I mean, 40 years, wherever far you want to go back, but especially since the, um, since the uh, crisis in 2008, we had these rounds of quantitative easing where the government's just creating trillions of dollars of new currency and pumping it in. Well, we, we haven't seen any inflation, any price inflation. Well, yeah, we have. I mean, the, the comparison is, is not what are the prices of goods this year compared to last year? The comparison should be what are the prices of goods compared to what they would be without the monetary inflation? Now, you have two very deflationary forces acting on prices. You have 300,000 baby boomers retiring every month. Now, when a person retires, it's well-established, they spend about two-thirds what they do when they're working. So that, that's a huge drop in demand from all those people retiring every month. You have a huge surge in automation, somewhat juiced by other government interventions, but would have happened anyway. We've got all these factories that are making just as many products with a fraction of the workers to the extent that we even had a presidential candidate saying, what are we going to do about this? We're not going to need any more workers, right? Well, that's a huge deflation, price deflationary force. We should be seeing prices falling dramatically uh, mm -hmm. of all these goods. But yet the Federal Reserve tells us, oh, it's terrible. They only went up 2% last year. So they overcame all of that deflationary force and even managed to go up when they should be going down. We're seeing massive effects of monetary inflation on consumer prices and, and nobody seems to acknowledge that. So that's a little, uh, another <laughs> the, the government at war with the market price, all these people making $7 an hour. And there's not that many of those people, by the way, um, they should be seeing a lot more products coming within the, their grasp that they can afford because of the rapidly falling prices, just like the 19th century. Right. But nobody knows that. Nobody, nobody is expecting that. So they see prices staying kind of close to the same and they think, oh, no inflation. Um, what do we do about this? Now we're, we're here. What, um, as, as advocates of, of free markets, what can we do? Uh, you know, that's a great question because I, you know, I've tried the nasty approach. I've tried the nice approach. I've tried the uh, begging approach. I've tried the threatening approach. 
I, I don't know what it is to, I think the problem is that people are emotionally attached, smart people even, yep. smarter than me, emotionally attached to some of these ideas and they just will not let go of them. I mean, I said to some people doing the price gouging thing, I said, well, you got another post where you're complaining about hoarders. All right. So if the price went up um, by triple uh, during, you know, the surge in demand, I mean, the hoarders wouldn't be able to buy as much. You do acknowledge that, right? You know, blah, blah, blah. It's, they're both immoral. That was one response I got. Well, right. I don't know. It doesn't matter whether they're immoral or not. There are some, you know, cause and effect relationships here that moral or not, we have to recognize. And if prices went way up, um, there would be products on the shelf left for those people coming in later. So it's funny that especially progressives, liberals, we're always so concerned about, well, some people have so much and some people have, you know, very little, right? Okay, well, when you have price gouging laws, some people have everything and other people have nothing. And you seem fine with that. that right. I, don't, I don't understand. Right. It, I, I think it is... Um... It does seem, but the conversations I have, <clears throat> it does seem to come down to sort of at, at the very end, it's like, it's just an emotional response. It's just, well, this doesn't seem right to me, or this is, this is, as you say, immoral. But I also feel like, be, it, I don't know, to me, so much of what's going on right now is so blatant. It's so, you know, you look at all the government failures, you look at the fact that some regulations are being lifted because it's an emergency. Well, that kind of raises the question, why were they there in the first place? If you can just lift them and, and, you know, no one's the worse off. Why are they there? But I just, I feel like there's so much going on right now that it's actually a great opportunity for us to really hammer home some of these points and to get, to get through to people because people are going to suffer in real ways, um, ways that a lot of us have sort of predicted. Um, I don't know. I feel like there, you know, it's not going to be everyone. Everyone's not going to come over and suddenly, you know, realize what's going on. But I do feel like it is, potentially a really powerful learning opportunity. Yeah, it is if people want to learn. Um, you know, I, it, what, what we get accused of also is, well, there's no time for your academic theories right now. People are in pain, right? So, and I try to, you know, I think I did this during the hurricanes about the price gouging thing. And I said, look, here's the real world. If a guy with a family of four comes into a store with a hundred bucks and water is $2 a bottle, okay, and there's 50 bottles left. It is perfectly rational, it's perfectly moral for him, not knowing if he'll ever have water for his family again for the next three months or whatever, to buy all 50 bottles, okay? That's not being a hoarder, that's, that's making the best economic decision you can. The most, I mean, what's better, to, to buy 25 and then have your family die of, you know, of not having any water, that, that doesn't make sense. Now, if the store owner is allowed to raise those bottles of water to $5 a bottle, okay? Now the guy with a hundred bucks can only buy 20 bottles. And the person who, and he makes the best decision he can, he buys all 20, that's all the money I have. And he takes it, the 20 bottles home with his family. Now the next person who comes in with a family of four, there's bottles left for them to buy. Okay. Um, if the price was at two, there wouldn't be the shelf would be empty as we're seeing now with so many different products. So this is not a academic theory. This is real world. If you raise that price, less people will buy less. 
there will be more left over for other people who need these things. Um, when you don't allow the price to go up, you are condemning people to not having any of those products. And when it comes to water and food and medicine, I mean, you are condemning them to death. So, um, you know, in the real world, to take the textbook and light it on fire, um, the cause effect uh, relationships and economics are, are very, very important. Yeah, I think my one of my favorite images, or not favorite, but one of the most striking images that I remember from Katrina was all these people coming in to sell generators, all these people from out of state, out of, out of the area coming in, bringing all these generators to sell at the high prices they could get and being stopped by the government and forced to put all these generators. So these generators sat in warehouses while people who needed them and who were willing to pay high prices for them went with that. I mean, who can possibly look at that and think, yeah, that's a good outcome. That's, that's helping people. I just, I don't get it. I don't. Well, here's one that I think liberals should, you know, get on board with us on. What, what, what else are we going to see very soon as this bubble pops and as um, the artificially high prices that um, were being caused by OPEC and, and Russia agreeing to limit their supply. Mm -hmm. Okay. In any market, in any industry, you have the lowest cost producers and the highest cost producers. Okay. And when there's enough demand for something, they all can stay in business and the price, and then and there's enough demand, it makes the price high enough for the person who it costs $80 a barrel to make a barrel of oil, that person can stay in business. Now, who are the highest cost producers? The we frackers, are. you know, the shale oil industry. Um, they were only able to do what they do um, because the price of oil was artificially higher than it would mm -hmm. be if you didn't have these price cartels. Well, now that's gone. So that and they're all going to go out of business. And even if they're absorbed by the bigger companies, there's going to be a lot less fracking. That's the market at work. That's market prices saying you're doing way too much fracking. We don't need all this. You don't need to destroy as many, you know, green hillsides uh, to, to produce, to supply the market with the oil it needs. Um, so that's the market at work. Is anyone gonna be sorry uh, about that? I don't know. I mean, will liberals say, geez, we gotta do something to keep these frackers in business? Right. No, they don't like them, so the whole you know, take will be different. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you go. We've gone past 30 minutes. Um, I'd love to have you on again. To I think this is a discussion that's gonna, um, it's not going away. Um, anything else that you want to add? No, just uh, if you want to um, keep up with me, uh, go to tommullen.net and wherever I'm, I published it a lot of different places, but I always have a, a link there. Okay, and I'm gonna put that in the show notes. So that'll all, that'll be available for people to see. So, okay, thank okay. you so much. Thank you, Brittany. All right, bye.